Well, good morning, and welcome to the Automotive Hour. Today's show is a pre-recorded show, and the only thing that means you won't be able to call in live, but you can always get your questions answered just by going on the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. Nothing in the world could be easier. You just look right top of the menu and hit the contact button, send an email to me, and I'll be glad to get an answer back to you, any questions you might have. Now, I will be off messing around on the beach somewhere because this is my summer vacation, and that's generally what Ms. Alzan and I love to do is go to the beach. So if you need to get your questions answered, just send me an email. I'll be checking all through the week, and I'll get an answer right straight back to you. Now, I'm not going to say I'm going to drop everything and run over and answer it, but within 24 hours, you'll definitely get an email, and usually sooner than that. Ordinarily in the afternoons, we'll go in, get cleaned up, ready for dinner, and as things are, women usually take a little longer than men to get ready. So while she's getting ready, I'll go out and answer all my emails. Don't mind at all. Be glad to try to get you an answer and point you in the right direction. Hey, why you on? Go ahead and look around, because there's lots and lots of things you can do. We have detailed topics with a whole lot of information on a specific subject. We've also got quick answers if you go into the vehicle questions. That's going to be an answer straight to the point. Lots of other things as well. There's an automotive glossary. Got tons of phrases that have been defined for you. Acronyms, all kinds of words that are used throughout the website and throughout the automotive industry. You might just see something that you always wondered about. <laughs> you can always go to our fun section. There's a neat little game where you can play and get a free Agco t-shirt. That'll get sent right on out to you. Just answer all the questions, send it in to me. Now, this week, it'll probably take about a week before I get back to the shop, so just depending on when you send that in as to when you get your shirt, but yeah, within a week, you'll get it. For today's show, I went back into our archives, year 2009. That way, it won't be information that you've heard a whole lot, so nobody will get bored from hearing the same thing over and again. I took questions that I thought made particularly good points, cut them out, pasted them together, and put them into a little format, and then I had some commentary after each one of the calls, and that way it kind of makes the points maybe a little bit more clear and hopefully brings out some good information. I hope you really enjoy it. We've got Kevin on the line. Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, sir. I think I already know the answer to this, but okay. I figured I'd call y'all and just see if you can help me out anyway. I got a 03 Suburban, and used to do it when I, when it reached 2,000 RPM, but when I have the air conditioner on, my engine starts making a terrible noise. Okay. You turn it off and it goes away? Yes. Yeah, they had some trouble on those, Kevin, with the air conditioner. What happens under certain conditions, liquid refrigerant is returned to the air conditioner compressor. It just goes through the system and gets back, and the compressor can't compress the liquid. So it pretty much tears the compressor up real quick. But GM's got several bulletins out for that, one including a flash update to the computer software to help with it. Another is sort of a revised filter thing that you put in line, and the ultimate fix is generally replacing the compressor. That's what I thought. But if you just change the compressor without doing the other stuff, it may actually end up occurring again. Okay. How much are we talking about? It gets pretty pricey, man. I mean, you're probably up in $1,500 range at least, depending on what else is wrong with it. How many miles on it? It's only about 60000 Yeah, low mileage. There's a fan clutch that can go bad that'll cause the compressor to overwork and cause the same thing. But at that low mileage, I don't think that would be a concern. important thing is don't just put a compressor on. Get somebody who knows what they're doing to go in and actually diagnose the problem. If not, you can end up doing it over again. Okay. It's bad enough the first time. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, okay, Kevin. It. Thank you, man. Okay. Now, in Kevin's case, a clear description of the problem. You notice I said it occurs at 2,000 RPM. It does not do it when the air conditioner is off, and it does do it when the air conditioner is on. So specific information leads you directly to the problem. Now, that combined with a pattern failure on this particular vehicle, in other words, a lot of these vehicles have this particular problem because it was a design problem. 
inherent in the vehicle. So that leads you right to a fix pretty easy. All you have to do is verify that is the problem with this particular vehicle and also check for collateral damage. That is other things that have occurred. Now while on the topic of air conditioning, our next caller brings up a number of really great points. Hey, let's go to our phone line with Wayne. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. Good morning. Sir. How y'all today? Doing, Doing great, great, sir. I bought an old two Ford Ranger, but anyways, the air conditioner, when you're driving down the road, mm -hmm. if you accelerate it, it will stop working. It yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that a normal function? No, it's not a normal function, but it's a fairly minor repair, usually. It's a vacuum line that is leaking. See, all the servos run by vacuum. Now, right. what it's actually doing, Wayne, it's not going to quit blowing. It's going to start blowing at the defroster up at the base of the windshield. And it quits coming out of your dash, so you think it quits. What it does, it goes to defrost. Because defrost and heat are safety functions, there's a spring that when the system fails, it automatically defaults to those. Right. Now, what happens is that your engine is producing close to 20 inches of vacuum when it's sitting there idling, which is great. It can run everything. Everything works great. When you accelerate, that vacuum drops down. Now, if the system is weak because it's a cracking line and it's leaking or one of the servos is leaking, when you accelerate, there's not enough vacuum engine, so then that spring is going to pull it back up to the frost and it's going to quit blowing out of the dash. Okay. So generally, the fix is not bad. The fine is the problem. Trying to find that leak in that half mile of vacuum lines. Yeah. We've actually got a machine that's called a smoke machine. And what it does, it uses nitrogen gas to produce a smoke and we run it through the intake and it goes through all the vacuum line. You can see the smoke coming out where the leak is. So it makes it fairly easy to find. Other than that, you just got to kind of hunt it down. And with the engine running, it's kind of hard to hear a little hissing or sizzling because the engine's making a lot of noise. But yeah. if you start looking around, you're going to find a vacuum leak somewhere. Some of the most common places, one is under the battery. Some of those lines run under the battery. And if you get an old battery that's leaking, some of that acid will run down on those lines and crack them. Another place is on the right-hand side back at the firewall where the line goes through the firewall. They tend to crack right there. It's a little eighth-inch vacuum hose, hard plastic, and you'll see them all over the motor. But just look around, listen around, and you'll probably hear a little hissing noise. You might even get under the dash of the truck and listen and see if you can hear a little hissing noise. And if you find that vacuum leak, you'll fix your problem. And okay. if, if you can't, you can bring it to us. We can find it for you. And like I said, the, the fix is generally not real involved. It's just finding it's kind of involved. Yeah, well, since then, the air conditioner compressor itself has went out, and I'm going to have to get that replaced. Yes, sir. It doesn't do much good to get the blowers working if the compressor's gone. So. Right. I was just wondering if that might have something to do with it, apparently. It no, didn't. sir. It's, it's two separate issues. That's fairly common with your vacuum thing. Now, one thing on a compressor, Wayne, and you're going to get all kinds of opinions on that, so let me go ahead and just throw mine in. Compressors don't ever just go out. Okay? A compressor is a system that's completely lubricated. It's sitting in a sterile environment running with oil all the time. Compressors don't just go out. When they go out, something causes them to go out. Now, what happens if you stick another compressor on, in about six months, you'll be putting another one, and six months later, you'll be putting another one. And each time you do it, you're putting a whole bunch of contamination in the system, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And you almost get to a point where you can't fix the car after a while. It just yeah. You can't keep a compressor on it. So you need somebody that knows what to do and to research and find out why that compressor failed. One of the reasons they fail is because the fan clutch on the vehicle is not drawing enough air through the condenser, so the head pressure is too high. Another reason is a leak somewhere in the system that leaked the refrigerant out. Somebody added more refrigerant, but all the oil leaked out and it burned up. Okay, so then. you just got to find the root cause and fix that, or you'll be putting compressors on it from now on. We, right, we well, see it all the time. I had changed the clutch on it because the other clutch had the bearings in it had burned down. Mm -hmm. uh, and I changed the clutch and... That was working fine, but I was getting a, a loud noise. And then when I went to take the clutch plate thing off, it clicks mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. 
hot he burnt my skin. Yeah, see, I never put clutches on those because when the you can buy a compressor with a clutch almost as cheap as you can buy a clutch. And the labor's about the same, and when the clutch goes out, I can tell you the compressor is generally not too far behind because the clutch has done tore the compressor up. Right. So that may have been your problem. When the clutches go bad, it wobbles that shaft around, and, and really, I just always just change the whole assembly. I, I found it's, it's way, way easier. You're done with it. And if you change a compressor before it fails, you get out of all the problem of having all this metal in the system that came out of the compressor when it went out. So right. you, you're way dollars ahead, in my opinion, just to put a clutch and compressor on it and be done with it. Because that clutch probably cost you, what, 100, 100 and a half? It was close to 100, yeah. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. you could probably buy a whole compressor with a new clutch for two, 250. So, yeah, I priced them at a Ford dealership for 300. Yeah, yeah, it's not much more than that. So labor's almost the same to change the clutch as it is to change the whole compressor. So it's just, to me, it's easy just to change the whole rascal while you're in and be done with it instead of, because now you got a new clutch on an old compressor that is no good. Right. Okay, well, that's just backyard mechanic type stuff. You know how, there you, you go. Know how it is. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate it. Okay, man. Wayne, thanks for calling, man. Uh-huh, enjoy the show. Thanks, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. And when the summer hits, air conditioning is something that's not going to be very far from everybody's mind. It's just almost intolerable to try to drive a car without air conditioning. There's also a couple other things that just about everybody knows about air conditioning. Number one is you can't do without it. And number two is it's really expensive to fix. Very, very few things that you can do on an air conditioning system that don't cost a fair amount of money. There are things you can do that will prevent even bigger repair bills. Not only that, but they'll help you a great deal to get a permanent type repair. For instance, procrastination is sort of a human characteristic. When there's something unpleasant, people obviously want to put it off as long as they can. But that's almost the worst possible thing you can do on an air conditioning system. An air conditioner is a sealed system that has to be almost sterile in the inside to protect everything. One tiny piece of contaminant can actually destroy a compressor really quickly. The problem is if a system gets empty, for instance there's a leak, and it sits empty for a period of time, moisture tends to leak into that system. Now when the moisture leaks in, it brings contaminants, it starts to form acids, and it's almost impossible to get those completely out. So let's say it's close to the end of the summer, your air conditioner goes out and you say, well I'll just wait through the winter, I won't worry about it, I'll get it fixed next summer. That's really not a great idea, reason being, all winter long is sitting and moisture is leaking into that empty system. That tends to attack all the metal components. The oil is not flowing around in the system because it's not operating and a lot more damage can be done. Come summer you go to repair it and you fix the original problem. It runs about three to six months, maybe a year at the most and bang it breaks again. Well what a lot of folks don't realize is that they sort of brought that on themselves by allowing the system to sit empty for the whole winter just not a really good idea. Best idea is to go ahead and get it repaired as soon as possible, if not immediately. The longer you wait, the more it's going to cost. Another thing is, it's better when you have a problem with your AC compressor to go ahead and replace the compressor before it totally fails. When a compressor fails, an abundance of metal debris goes all throughout the system. And when that happens, again, it's almost impossible to clean that out. So no matter how good a job you do, there's always a higher risk that the system will fail again. You can avoid all that by changing the compressor before it completely fails, when it first starts to give you those warning signs. For instance, if the system is just not getting as cold as it's supposed to, you have it checked, the compressor is weaker than it's supposed to be. It's not putting out the pressure. Well, if you go ahead and replace it then, you can avoid the failure, which brings all the contamination to the system, having to change additional components, and actually save a whole lot of money. There's a detailed topic on the website on air conditioner, and it t- covers this exact topic, how to 
prevent expensive repairs on your air conditioner. There's also a little bit of maintenance you can do, not a great deal, but there are a few things. For instance, keeping the condenser clean on the outside. That's the coil in the front of the radiator. And gently taking a hose, hosing that out, cleaning out the bugs, the dust, and the debris will help to make that last a whole lot longer. Another is to get it checked just as soon as there's a problem. If the unit is not cooling as well as it should, there's generally a reason for it. For instance, you could have a cooling fan which is not operating properly. It's not drawing enough air through the condenser, so now the head pressure is going too high. The first symptom that you will notice is that it's not cooling as well as it should. The second symptom you'll notice is that the compressor will fail. So by addressing it early on, you can prevent a much larger repair. Very often we get cars in not cooling very well, we repair the cooling fan and they cool just fine. Now if you continue to drive it around for a number of months, the head pressure is really high, the compressor fails, it contaminates the system, now you're into a $2,000 repair or possibly even worse. So don't put that off. Don't procrastinate. You can save a whole lot of money by addressing your air conditioner a little bit quicker. Now, two tips that you really want to remember because these are just about the biggest things that I see. One is don't ever let anyone under any circumstances top off your air conditioning system. That's what it take a can of refrigerant and those little hoses and add more refrigerant to the system. That can absolutely decimate an air conditioning system. There are many, many, many things that can make an air conditioner not cool well other than being low on refrigerant. However, most people, for whatever reason, think anytime it quits cooling, they need to add more refrigerant to it. That many times is not even what it needed, and with those little cans, you simply can't judge how much you're putting in. You can do irreparable damage very, very quickly. The reason being, the old systems used to hold almost five pounds of refrigerant. If you added 12 ounces and you got it too much in, it really wasn't too big of a deal because you were only a small percentage overcharged. Some of the systems today only hold 12 ounces. If you add another 12 ounces that it didn't need, you could actually be 100% overcharged and blow the compressor completely up. Even the folks who have the gauges, you just can't tell anything with that any longer because with the variable displacement compressors, the readings mean absolutely nothing. That computer will keep those readings exactly where it wants them, regardless of whether it's low, full, or not. So that's just not a diagnostic technique any longer. The only way to properly charge that system is to evacuate the entire system, take everything out, and then put the correct amount back in by weight with a charging cylinder or a digital scale. So don't ever let anyone top off your system. The last thing is probably even more critical than that, and that's the stop leak that you can find at some places. The better places don't handle it at all, but it seems like here and there there are places who sell air conditioning stop leak. It absolutely will not work, will not help anything, and it will destroy the system. Not only that, but when you do bring your car in to get it repaired, the first thing they'll do is take an identifier, and when they identify the stop leak in the system, the system comes back as contaminated. There's absolutely nothing they can do for you. It can't be properly repaired. So basically at that point, you've got a car without an air conditioner, which is really not a car at all. So don't ever let anyone put any type of stop leak or anything into your air conditioner. Only let a professional service it. You'll save a ton of money. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. I get your kicks on Route 66.
Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know, I friended you. But please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. The cats all holler hooray. You hear them say, beat me, daddy, hey, to the bar. Welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive, and today's show is a pre-recorded show. However, you can still get your questions answered just by logging on to our website. That's www.agcoauto.com. Altazan's Garage Company would be the acronym for that. Go on, just hit the contact button and send me an email. I'll be glad to answer any questions you might have. You just go ahead and send it to me. I don't mind doing that at all. In fact, that gives me a great deal of insight into the things that people are wondering about. Out, helps me to improve the website and just something I enjoy doing as well. So go ahead and send me an email. Just anytime, I'll get you an answer. If for any reason you hadn't received an answer within 24 hours, go ahead and send that again. Check your return address. A lot of times I'll get an email. The return address is not right. Maybe when they typed it in, you missed a character or whatever. And when I send it, it just pops right back to me. Unfortunately, that's as far as I can go. I don't ever, ever, ever ignore anyone or not send an answer. So if you hadn't got anything back from me within 24 hours, please just reset it and I will get you an answer. We're going to shift gears from air conditioning and go back to another topic that we hear quite a bit about, and that's front-end suspension parts. Let's listen to our next caller. Good morning, Wayne. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, Enjoying the show as always. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Quick question. Sure. I have my wife's car, actually. It's a 2001 Ford Explorer. Uh-huh. Recently took it in to get the tires rotated yes, and balanced, and they said that the tires were cupping. Okay. They showed a little bit of wear right in the middle of the tire. Yes, sir. And they suggested that we change the upper and lower strut. I mean, obviously, they need, she needed new tires. Probably ball joints. Ball joints. That's yes, uh-huh. yes, sir. The Explorer doesn't have struts on it. It's got shots. That's what I meant, ball joints. The ball joints on that vehicle are fairly common to go out, particularly around eighty to 100,000 miles. Yeah, it says 125,000. Right. Mm-hmm. That's about the mileage we're seeing those go out, weighing quite a bit. What you need to do is get a definitive answer. Is that what's causing this cupping? Or did the cupping cause the ball joints to go out? And what happens a lot of times, and I've seen this over and over again since we're mainly in the suspension business, you get a tire that is cupped, and let's say the shock is leaking on that same tire, and Uh the tech will say, well, the leaking shock caused the tire. What actually happened is that the tire was not round, and the tire beat the shock to death. So you got to kind of figure out which one's going on. Because what you don't want to do is go put four brand new ball joints on here and have an out around tire or tires that maybe were mounted improperly or whatever and have them beat the new ball joints right back out again. So you just want to get a good root cause analysis on it and then fix it. What we do on those, Wayne, we actually use a part made by a company called Moog, M-O-O-G, 
We find uh, those are a lot better than the original Ford parts. Okay. Most of the time, aftermarket stuff is not equal to the OEM, right. but in right. some cases, it's actually better. They actually cost a little bit more than the Ford part, but they're a good part. They're going to fix the problem from then on. Most of your Ford parts, original equipment parts, don't have a grease fitting where you can actually service the joint. Right. But the Moog actually has a grease fitting in every joint that they sell now. So you About can service that. Anything to have a grease fitting. Yeah, I can right. That. Yeah, right. so a little squirt of grease about twice a year, and that's all you have to do with them. You're done. Question. Yes, okay. 2001 with 125,000 miles. Gotten good life out of it. I mean, cost-wise, do you think it's worth it? I mean, the car's still in great shape. Well, Nothing let me ask you this. Wayne, do you like the vehicle? Yeah, my wife loves the vehicle. Does it do everything you want to do? Everything. Well, yeah, that's the cheapest mm-hmm. thing you can do because that job... I'm not sure exactly how much it costs, probably in the six, $700 range somewhere, okay. uh, maybe a little more than that. But that's probably not even two payments on another vehicle. Oh, yeah, exactly. What I, would, one payment <laughs> what I would probably recommend to you, if you have any questions in your mind, is to bring it in. Let's do a general inspection okay. of the vehicle. Reason okay. being, I can do a general inspection, and I can say, hey, this is a sound vehicle. It's definitely worth spending the money on. Or I might say, hey, Wayne, the transmission doesn't look too good. The air conditioner's fixing to go out, da 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 Well, now you got a whole different decision to make. Exactly. So before you invest in any kind of major repair, I always recommend people bring it in. Let's do a general inspection on the vehicle. That'll let you know exactly where you're sitting. Yeah, it reminds me of that old axiom, throwing good money after bad. Correct, That's correct. It. And exactly. you can get there. You know, it just depends on the way the vehicle's been taken care of up to this point. But by the same token, if it's been taken care of, I've seen those vehicles go 250,000 miles, so you'd be less exactly. than halfway through life. So it's foolish to get rid of it when it can have a lot more life. So to me, we face this decision a lot with folks because you get a lot of cars in it need big repair. I always recommend let's do our general inspection. In fact, go to the website click on services, click on general inspection, and it will tell you an awful lot about that, the things we check, how we do it, and so on. But it's geared exactly for this purpose, to let okay. you know where the vehicle stands before you go spend a lot of money on it. Okay, I'm going to bring it to you. I know you work on Sundays, Lewis. I'm going to yeah. bring it to you tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it, it, I probably won't better make it at like 8 o'clock tomorrow night. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'll get my wife to take it in on Monday. Okay, man. Thank you, Wayne. Bye-bye. 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 Wayne did bring his car in. We checked it over, did a general inspection, found a few other problems, but nothing really major. Made all of the repairs, and now Wayne has a really good, dependable car he could probably drive for another two to three years. A lot of people are seeing a wisdom in that particular strategy. The idea of going to pay $30,000 for a new car, and the new cars today just really aren't quite as great as the advertisement would have you believe. A lot of times you end up paying notes and having repairs. That's something you really don't want. But if you got a car that's basically in good shape, has one problem with it, and you like the car, and it meets all your needs, you may want to consider repairing it. That's what our cost-saving calculator is all about, the one buy or keep. It'll help you to make that decision. I think a lot of people have had the problem that Wayne mentioned, and that is pouring good money after bad. That's when you take an old car and you try to keep it maybe a little longer than you should. You make a big repair only to have it break down again and then again and then again, and pretty soon you're spending more money than you may have been able to pay the notes on a new car. That makes no sense at all, and that's why the general inspection comes in so handy because it can give you a perspective of exactly where your car is now, what kind of condition it's in. A couple of things have changed since that old axiom was actually coined. That is, cars used to cost $3,000 brand new. So when a car only costs $3,000 new, it really didn't make a whole lot of sense to spend $2,000 to repair an old one. You could buy a new one for $3,000. Well, of course, those days are long since gone and not very likely to ever come back. 
Cars now are in the twenty, thirty, even forty thousand dollar range and higher if you want something pretty nice. So a second thing has also changed is that cars do last a whole lot longer. From the mid nineteen nineties to the mid two thousands, they built some of the best cars they ever built. Those cars are very, very easily capable of going three hundred plus thousand miles with just a little bit of care. So if you've got a car like that, it does meet your needs. It's a car that you really like. It does everything you want it to do. You can very often just invest a little bit of money in it, keep it going, maybe get another 100,000 miles or more, which is almost equivalent to buying a whole other car for a much, much lower price. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Now I've noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching. Well, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. Today's show is pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in, but we've got a really good show for you. What I've done is taken some questions from way back in 2009, got them back out of the archives, cut some out that I thought made particularly good points and some interesting topics, put them all together and put a little commentary in between, so I think we got a really interesting show for you. I hope you enjoy it. Just before the break, we were talking to Wayne about fixing his vehicle, and we're going to continue on with that line with our next caller. We got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, Lewis, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Lewis, I got a pension for old big cars in the 90s, mid-90s, like Oldsmobiles, Cadillacs, and that sort okay, of stuff. Sir. What general advice would you give somebody? You can either buy a new car or an old car. If you're not going to drive to California, uh-huh. what's your thoughts on that? I like them because they're different, they're fun, and all that sort of stuff. Well, but you might not have the safety stuff on it. You know, I'll tell you what, Bobby, I love the late 90s model cars, and I think that is the best cars that they ever built. Okay. The quality movement started out real strong about the mid-80s, took the United States at least about five years or so to get on board. By the early 90s, they were building some pretty decent cars, and I think they continued to build better and better cars all through the 90s. Okay. Now, somewhere around 2000, they figured out, hey, you know, we make these things too good, people aren't going to buy another one. Yep. <laughs> and that's when they started cutting back. Not only that, they started buying all their parts offshore. I mean, you hardly see a part now that didn't come from Taiwan or China. Or Brazil. Brazil. Or, Singapore. Yeah. Korea. Yeah. I really like those cars. I think it's a good idea. What I would try to do, Bobby, is find one, obviously, that you like, one that's in pretty good shape. Wouldn't be overly concerned about the mileage in that if it has 100 plus thousand, that's really no big deal. If you bought that car for what you can buy them for, which is normally, what, $3,000 or so? Yeah, they're pretty inexpensive. Pretty reasonable. Right. You could afford to put a new motor and a new transmission in it if you had to and still be dollars ahead. Yeah, that's Rather than spending thirty grand for a new car. Exactly. And, I mean, I love those cars. You can still kind of halfway work on them yourself. And, I mean, they were just real robust. 
the little bit of gas mileage savings that you'll get on a new car, man, if you do the math, I've got a calculator on my site, it's nothing. I mean, I did a, a thing the other day when our president talked about going to 50 miles a gallon, and I calculated the difference between going from 35 to 50 miles a gallon at $4 a gallon is about 200 bucks a year, and they go double the price of a car to do it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. People get really crazy about gas mileage. Most of those cars would get 20 miles a gallon on the road, which is pretty darn good. So, yeah, I, I really like that idea. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Okay. Well, like I said, that's what I'm thinking about doing. I don't go that, you know, I don't do that much mileage, and that mileage calculator is great. I've sent a bunch of people to your website mm-hmm. to use it because they say, well, I drive six or 8,000 miles a year. Right. I say, well, yeah, but go pay 10000 extra for the car so right. you can get it back in 100 years. Yeah, exactly. right. about 100 years to get your money back. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> keep up the good job. You do a great job, and some of the stores are starting to carry uh, Motocraft. Notice filters, that. Maybe right. due to you guys. So. Yeah, yeah. Good and deal. Uh, like I said, every piece of advice I ever got from you has been great, so keep up the good work. Well, thanks, sir. Bye-bye. I think more and more people are starting to think like Bobby does. As our society gets a little bit more mature, status symbols just really aren't that important to us, or at least have changed quite a bit. In other words, instead of having a brand new, big old, shiny automobile, a lot of people see the wisdom of maybe having a little bit longer vacation or more vacations, maybe fixing up their house the way they like it, maybe working just a little bit less, maybe even helping their children out with their education. There's other things you can spend money on that's just a whole lot better than maybe a new car. Where else could you spend $30,000 and in three years it's worth $10,000? Dave Ramsey makes a very, very good point. Dave says, try weird because normal is definitely broke. And what he means by that, the normal status symbols that we used to really look up to, the new car and all that sort of thing, really just how important are they in the total scope of things? I think the harder times economically that we're facing now Well, there's a lot of bad. Maybe some good will come out of it, too. People will kind of sit back a little bit and start examining the things that are really important in life. Now, obviously, cars do get to a point where it's just not economically feasible to keep on repairing them. And a lot of folks have gotten to that point. That's where you keep dumping money into a car. It just seems to keep breaking. A lot of things go into that figure, one being the past care and maintenance that the vehicle has received. For instance, if a car has been taken really good care of, the oil has been changed at 3,000 miles, the coolant has been changed every two to three years, the transmission has been serviced every two to three years, that vehicle, when it gets to 100,000 miles, probably is not even halfway through its life. Now, another thing that goes into that is the type of car that you buy initially. For instance, a good car, be it a Toyota, even General Motors, Ford, or Chrysler in their upper brands, are generally designed to go 100, 200, 300,000 miles. Now, some of the real inexpensive little cars you find on the market, they're just not going to make it that far. What's going to happen is they're going to get to a point where they're just going to start breaking faster than you can fix it. So the point is, what you want to do is before you start spending a lot of money on a car, bring it in, have it evaluated. That's what our general inspection at AGCO is all about. We can go through the car piece by piece by piece, tell you not only what is broken right now, but what is likely to fail in the future. For instance, if you have a car, and let's say the air conditioning is broken, it's going to cost you a good bit to repair. However, it's still considerably less than a new car. But if you bring the car in, we do a general inspection, we find out, well, the transmission's fixing to go out in it, the engine doesn't sound too good, and the rear end is roaring, well, obviously, that's not a car you want to put a whole lot of money into. You're better to go ahead and bail out on that one, buy something else, maybe a little newer and in better condition. By the same token, if you check the car out, it's in generally really good shape. It's just got one problem. Well, then all you have to do is evaluate whether that problem is worth repairing or not. 
I've always used the formula that I like to spend a little more than $200 per month on a car. Now, what I mean by that is if I'm looking at a repair, my car is paid for, let's say it's going to cost $1,000 to repair. Well, if I divide that into five months, that's $200 per month. So I have to ask myself, if I spent this money, could I very reasonably assume that I can go five more months without a major repair? Now, if the answer to that question is yes, then it's a pretty good deal because I'm still way under my target. If the answer to that is no, well, now it's time for me to bail. And the way to find that out is by having a general inspection by a professional. They can tell you if there's likely to be other problems that are looming and if not, whether the car is feasible to repair. Now, the last thing that enters into that is if you like the car. Because God knows life is too short, and if you really just want a new car, well, by all means, go ahead and get a new car. But if you like the car that you have, it does everything you want, it's just much, much more economically feasible to go ahead and repair the car that you've got. The last thing that is, you want to have the best repair that you can get. You can spend a lot of money on repairing a car and actually not be a lot better off than you are if it's not repaired properly. Unfortunately, about 20 to 30% of the cars that come into AGCO for repair are cars that have been repaired elsewhere and now we're having to redo that repair. And that's a repair I really don't like doing because I know someone's already spent good money to have it done and now they're having to pay me to do it all over again. So choose very wisely. Select a good quality shop and have a quality repair done. That way your car will last you several more years. It'll be an overall lowest cost. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities, and rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today's show is a pre-recorded show, so you won't be able to call in. However, you can always send me an email if you have a question. It's www.agcoauto.com. Of course, that's a website, and you can click on Contact, and that'll send an email directly to me. Glad to get you an answer right straight back. We were talking just before the break about keeping an older car, maybe repairing an older car, possibly even buying an older car and fixing it up. One of the things you can do to really make your car last just a whole lot longer, and that's an oil change. Sometimes between callers, Brian and I like to discuss different things. In this next segment, that's exactly what we did. We spent a bit of time talking about how to do an oil change properly. 
guy was in the shop just the other day, and he was asked, can I do on my own car? He said, I really, not about the money. I just like tinkering on my own cars. Right. What can I really do on my own car? As we sat there and talked, of course, there's lots of things that you can still do on your own car, and there's lots of things you better Should off. Should lead just, a professional. Or at least have a professional diagnose for you before you, you jump into it, just because it's just way too expensive to try to do it yourself. Right. One of the things you can definitely do yourself would be to change your own oil. It's not too many cars need suspension lubricated anymore because just about everything is greased but if it does that's certainly something you can do yourself by changing your own oil not only can you save a few dollars a lot of people have a lot of fun doing that right but you can make sure it's done right which is no small task because there are all changed places all over the world all over town for sure and you would think it'd be a given that they're going to change you all right and what can go wrong with an oil change exactly and as we see every single day there is an awful lot that can go wrong <laughs> oh most definitely the biggest thing is a strip drain plug it gets over tightened or under tightened. under tightened we have seen them fall out right and when all the oil's gone so's the engine <laughs> pretty much yeah if you want to change your own oil a couple of other things that you have complete control over is what kind of oil goes into your car exactly because if you go just to an oil change place you don't know how they are storing that oil what kind of oil they're buying what grade of oil they're buying right if they're putting the right oil in the car how many times do you go to line a car look up see an oil change sticker and they don't usually write what viscosity they use all the time because they don't want anybody to know right but some of them do. Some do. And, you, and it's usually 3. 10, 10 W30. 3 or 4 times a week this happens. And the car calls for 5 W20. Well, that's right. the wrong oil in the car. Exactly. Which is going to cause you all kinds of grief down the road. Right. You're not going to see any trouble right now. It, but, it may cause your catalytic converter to burn up. Right. It may shorten life of your engine. But you can buy the type of oil and make sure you're getting the kind of oil. Plus, you know you're getting fresh, clean oil. Whereas that stuff that comes out of a bulk tank, who knows? They may yeah. not even have desiccant filters on that tank. So they pump 2,000 gallons of oil out, 2,000 gallons of moisture-laden, dirty air goes in. Then they dump all on top of it, and that doesn't hurt anything maybe one time. But you keep doing that, and sooner or later you got a tank that's got a half an inch of water in the bottom exactly. of it. Exactly. No telling what other kind of contaminants in it. And that's if everything else is okay. Your oil gets dirty enough doing its job in the engine. Right. You don't you want don't, to put dirty oil right. into the engine. You don't want to start with dirty oil. Now, a few things, if and when you do decide to change your own oil. Of course, go ahead and do a little research. Look in the owner's manual. See what oil is called for. Select a good brand of oil. Don't try to save money by going with a cheap oil. Right. If you find a good common name brand, brand. Name brand oil... That is available anywhere. Right. You won't have any trouble finding it. Right. Therefore, there's no reason to mix brands. Right, because when you start mixing brands, you can create other problems. Exactly. You know, for instance, you may be using, say, ExxonMobil, and then all of a sudden decide you're going to put Quaker State. Well, not that one is better than another or one is bad or whatever, but they are incompatible. They use different additive packages. You may end up with an engine that's using all after that. Exactly. So... You can buy your oil. What a lot of folks do is they'll go to one of the big box stores or whatever, buy maybe a case of oil or two cases of oil, mm-hmm. stick it in the back of the garage. That way they've got it when they need it. Go and buy a name brand filter. Now, what I mean by that is the filter that was made by the car manufacturer. If you got a Honda, buy a Honda filter. If you got a Toyota, buy a Toyota filter. If you got a General Motors car, you want a Delco filter, Motocraft on Ford, Mopar on Chrysler, and so on. Same thing, I'd recommend you go in and buy five or six of those at a time 
that way you've got them and you don't run out on a weekend, oh, well, let me go ahead and get a cheap filter and put on it. Right. You're really not helping yourself by changing oil and putting a, a cheap filter on it. Right, exactly. The next thing is go ahead and look up on the Internet or you can email and I can look it up for you. What is a torque specification on that oil drain plug? There is a torque spec and it varies widely. Yes, it does. I've seen them anywhere from 10 foot-pounds to 35 to, to thirty-five on you know different vehicles, sometimes within the same manufacturer. Right. The and torques it, will change. If you put 35 on one that calls for 10, you're going to strip it. If you put 10 on one that calls for 35, it's, it's not going to be tight out. enough. So go ahead and find out that torque specification. Now, what we do at the shop is take a marker type thing. We usually write that on the bottom of the oil pan. Exactly. Or whatever it is. You would be surprised how much time that saves. As many oil changes as we do, a vehicle comes in, we've changed the oil on once already. When we run it up in the air, the torque spec is there for the drain plug. We already know what oil goes in it. Right. We got the oil filter in stock. And when you set the car down, open the hood, the amount of oil it takes is written under the hood. Correct. So, therefore, you're saving a whole bunch of time. You're doing a very quality job. You don't have to stop and start looking things up right. every time a different vehicle comes in. It takes quite a bit of time to access that information. And if it's something you do fairly infrequently, like changing on your own car, or maybe you have two cars, now you got to try to remember, okay, what was the spec on this, what was the spec on that one? And if you're doing this every three or four months, you may not remember all that. Sure. So go ahead, get you a marker pen or something, write it down, just write it on the bottom of the oil pan. That way, when you're looking at that oil plug, the spec is right there for you. Exactly. And I don't know why the manufacturers don't just stamp it on the pan. That would be extremely convenient. Yeah, it wouldn't take a whole lot for them to do that during the manufacturing process. In fact, I think a handful of them do. There are some that's cast into the pan. I always thought that was a really, really good idea. Now, whenever you do your oil change, what you want to do is run the car, get it up to full operating temperature before you start. Now, I know it's inconvenient because it's going to be hot, but if you let it sit all night and you go to drain it, that oil is going to be real thick, and all the trash in that oil is going to be real thick, and it's not going to drain out real well. Right. So go ahead and get it hot. Take your drain plug out, get your pan, put it under it, then go inside and get you a bologna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> let it drain. Or beer, whichever you prefer. Yeah. But let it drain. The longer it sits there draining, the more of the contaminants are going to drain out. And that's a good thing. That's what you want. Right. Now, before you put that plug back in, go ahead and look at the threads on it. Make sure they're not pulled. Make sure they're not rolled. They're not spread open or anything like that. Also, inspect that little seal on it. It's a little rubber seal or aluminum seal or, or copper seal copper or right. fiber or whatever it is. Depending Make on sure the seal's good because all drain plugs do wear out in time. Sure. And when they do, you need to change them. When you put that plug in, you should be able to screw it in by hand almost all the way in. Just Most of them are all the way up to the seal. Right. When you get to the seal, then you put your torque wrench on it and you go ahead and torque it. Now, if you put it in and it starts getting tight right away, chances are it's time to change that drain plug. Because what will happen, if that drain plug strips that oil pan, now you got a big, big, big problem on your hand that you could have prevented. Exactly. It's not going to be a cheap operation if that plug strips. So go ahead, if you have to, and change that plug out. That way you don't have a problem with it. Put your filter on. You've always got the old thing about, do I fill the filter up with oil before I put it on? And I've heard both sides of that argument. Some people say, well, if you fill it up with oil, the oil pump doesn't have to fill it, so you can get oil in engines quicker. What I have actually heard many, many experts say is, no, don't fill it, because the oil that you're pouring in is not always completely clean. Even oil right out of the bottle from the manufacturer can have trash and grit in it. Right. There's, they don't strain that oil before they put it in the bottle. So not only that, but you can knock a little piece of grit into that filter. Anything that goes in that filter is on the output side of the filter. And it's going to go straight to the bearings in the engine. Mm-hmm. So you're better off not to put anything in your filter. Go ahead, put a little Lube film the on the gasket. Make sure you take the old gasket off. Exactly. I've seen a double-stack gasket right. before. The old gasket sticks to the engine block. You take it off, screw the new one on. you got two gaskets, and they blow out, and you lose all your oil. Right. 
So go ahead and screw it down, hand tight till it contacts, and then about what half a, to three quarters of a turn yeah, on most fields. It's plenty. You don't have to get it down bare tight. If you don't have you, to put a wrench on it. You will make a great big mistake by over tightening it now. Because right. later when it's time to change it again, you won't be able to take it off. Right, not only that, but you could actually squeeze that rubber gasket out. You could create a you could. create a leak. So then you want to fill it up with all. Get a filter and don't use it for anything but that. In other words, don't use it to pour the insecticide. Yeah, funnel. I'm sorry. Right. Don't use it to pour insecticide into the garden sprayer. Don't use it for funnels aren't universal. <laughs> the best ones I like are the ones that have a cover that goes over the big end and the small end. Right. That way they stay nice and clean. But if not, find a nice clean place to keep it. Get your funnel, pour the oil in. If it calls for five quarts of oil, maybe pour four and a half and then check it. Crank it up, let it run a few minutes, turn it off, let it sit, and then go and check it. That's the key. Let it sit for a few minutes to let all that oil that's in the top of the engine drain back right. to the pan so you get a correct measurement off the stick. Right, because when they say five quarts of oil, that is not a scientific measurement. Some of them are going to take four and three quarters. Some are going to take 5.1. Five is going to be a good round figure. But what right. you want to do is start out maybe at around four and a half. Crank it up, let it run, turn it off, let it sit, come back and check it, and then top it off from there until you got it right at the full mark. Get your owner's manual out because some vehicles actually take seven quarts of oil. Oh, yeah. And you don't want to really start with four and a half right. on that type of particular engine. No, you want to start if it calls for five, you right. start four and a half. Most of your vehicles will take between five and six quarts. Yeah, I've seen some with little as three. Yeah, some of the smaller of, engines. One of little Nissans takes three. Right. And then I've seen, of course, a... Ford Power Stroke takes, takes 15. 15. <laughs> yeah. Your Mercedes take over eight. So it depends on the manufacturer. But like Lewis was saying, if you start maybe a quart lower than what it calls for right. and, and then, then top, top off, off from, from there, there, you'd be a lot better off. And then once you figure out how much oil goes in it, write that under the hood somewhere where every time you open the hood, right. you can look down and see it. Mm-hmm. Jeff and I like to write it on the core support right. in, with a Sharpie of a different color than the, the body. That way it kind of pops right. out at right. you. It doesn't look bad at all and it's right there. Right. Regular high-quality oil changes can go a long, long way to extending the life of your car. It's probably the least expensive thing you can do that has one of the largest impacts on the life of your vehicle. There's just no reason to not do it. Now, if you go with the owner's manual, you're going to see these very drawn-out oil changes that have become popular over the last several years. They call them extended oil change intervals. And many times they recommend as many as five, six, seven. I've even seen up to 10 to 12,000 miles between oil changes. That's just not a real good idea. I've always felt that the folks who make those recommendations are not looking at the overall lowest cost. Maybe they're trying to gain some brownie points with some of the consumer advocate groups by hey, saying, hey, we've got lower maintenance costs. Maybe they're just trying to sell you another car. I really don't know. But if you go to my website, go to the detailed topic section and go to the search bar and type in the sad truth and read it. It's a great article and it addresses this exact topic. Don't fall for that. Go ahead and change your oil around 3,000 miles. That's if you drive the car every day for some distance. Now, if you take very, very long trips, for instance, you drive it 40, 50 miles a day, then obviously you can go a little bit longer, easily go four to 5,000 miles and really not cause any problem. But if you're like most people and your average trip is five to 10 miles per cycle, then you need to be changing that oil around 3,000 miles. Also, if you don't use your car very much at all, some folks only put three to 6,000 miles a year, you need to change all at least twice a year, regardless of the mileage. Even if you only got 3,000 miles on in a year, 
Now, regular oil changes are great, but don't forget about the other needs of your car as well. Things like changing the coolant every two to three years, or at least when the pH gets to seven. Also, servicing the transmission. Automatic transmission fluid gets dirty, the filter becomes restricted over time, and it will cost you a lot more not to change it. But just take care of those things as well. Whether you do it yourself or you elect to go ahead and have a shop do it for you, don't forget about all the maintenance needs of your car. And just in case you're not familiar with all the things your car needs, you can always go to the website. That's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, and click on All About Maintenance. There's a whole segment. It explains maintenance. It explains the difference between regular service and severe service. And it gives you some general guidance on what times you need to be doing things. And that kind of sums it up. That's exactly the reason why you want to do maintenance. You're trying to get the overall lowest cost. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on my experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.